Well, good evening. Interesting night. We're gathered to talk about repentance. That should be something. I uh, wondered where we were going to start when our worship leader said, when Nathan said, you're the man, I knew I was the man. And then he says, my name is David. (laughs) So I wonder where he's going to go with that story, actually. But we're very thankful for David helping us out with worship tonight. It was a wonderful time of uh, being enriched in God's spirit as we begin. And actually, I do wonder, when people are coming tonight, of course, most of you probably didn't know what the subject was. But now that you know we're talking about repentance, I just wonder what that makes you think or expect. What's going on in your heart? Um, I will say that I'm pretty convinced, myself included, that God has something for every one of us in this message. And I hope you'll stay long enough with me to realize that there's incredible hope in what God has for us, in this gift, in this tool, in this uh, direction, this spiritual discipline he's given us that we call repentance. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for the privilege of being here together with these saints and seekers. And I'm so thankful that you are here in our midst and that we can worship you and exalt you and reflect on who you are and what it is you want to communicate to us. And I do ask now that from the busyness of our day, you would quiet our hearts and that your spirit would come and take your word and touch us and change us for your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're on this series in Lent, which is really a journey designed both for individuals and for us as a church to go through. Uh, The goal uh, in general of Lent and churches that celebrate Lent is a preparation journey for Easter. It's that kind of reflecting and self-examination and preparation for really celebrating the victory Christ won on the cross and the victory that the resurrection proved. But this year it seemed particularly helpful for us as a church, given some of the things we've been through, some of the changes, some of the pains, to take time and say, Lord, what do you want to teach us? Help us to listen, especially with clear ears and open hearts to what you would teach us as we go through some of these things. We don't want to waste an opportunity to have God teach us. Um, Suffering, struggle, all those things which can be quite frightening, and no one seeks them, but they are uh, like graduate courses in how God wants to mature us. This does not mean that we're here to pay penance or somehow to think that by putting ourselves down or getting in some kind of a negative mindset that by doing so we're going to please God. That's not the journey that we're on. What we do want is to actually push out all the noise and hear from God. And let him tell us what really is going on, how he sees things. As Barry prayed, Lord, help us to see our sin the way you see it. Also, help us to see the hope that you've offered in Christ as you see it, instead of just the way we see it. So it's an exciting thing. The church has been doing this for at least 1,700 years, experiencing Lent in some form or fashion. We already took a look at fasting. And I must say, with the good dinner that was prepared, I did not fast tonight in case it's time for confession, which is, I think, next week's lesson. It was really a good dinner. Uh, We talked last week about brokenness. Fasting being that real uh, planned and purposeful uh, spiritual combat that we even put aside food and, and kind of harness all of our energy to focus on the spiritual realm. Brokenness is just that journey to say, you know what, when I start seeing sin in my life and my failures and my weakness the way God does, there's an appropriate time to go through brokenness. There's an appropriate way to let God speak to your heart. 
and say, you know what, I wish it wasn't so. I wish there was something different. And that phase of brokenness is a key step in the journey, but it's not the destination. We're not supposed to experience brokenness to remain in brokenness. It's supposed to take us as a step towards restoration. Today we're going to look at repentance. What does that word really mean? Uh, the Greek is, uh, there's several words actually that are translated from both the Greek and the Hebrew uh, to either repent or what repentance is. Uh, actually, a couple hundred uses in the Old and New Testament. But in essence, it carries the meaning to turn or to turn away from something. That's what I want you to really get hold of. Another translation of this could be to change course. You've heard me say, if you've heard me in sermons in the last month or so, that um, because we've talked about Jesus calling people to repentance, it's I'm going one way. And I recognize this is not the way that God wants me to go. The way I'm doing my life, the way I'm valuing things, the way I'm seeing and experiencing things. And so I turn and I go the other way. And that's what repentance is. It's that change of mind, change of course, change of direction. And that's what we want to understand more. What is this that God is calling us to do when he calls us to repent? Some of you might already be thinking, well, this sounds like we're going to have a talk about things like New Year's resolutions. And if that's what you're thinking, you should be a little frightened because most of us have such a horrendous record with New Year's resolutions, right? Oh, I know I should change my eating habits. I know I should watch less television and do more exercise. And we get the list of things. And those things usually last about two to four weeks at best. And our success rate's pretty poor. So why would we have any more hope that a genuine exercise of repentance can lead to real change? Well, let's see what God's Word has to say about that. There's a whole industries that are designed to help people change. Uh, you know, food industries, diet industries, exercise industries, they make so much money because so many people want to change. I have to wonder if you didn't come here tonight and there's something that you might have gotten weary of trying to change because you've kind of lost hope. But I bet everybody came in here saying, I wish I could change this. I wish I could grow in this area of my life. I wish this thing could be overcome. And we want to see what tools God has given us to help us to experience real transformation. That's why we're studying these things in Lent. You're going to need your Bibles if you have them. And we're going to start in a passage in Matthew 21, uh, verses 28 to 32. But I'm going to actually use several passages. So keep your Bibles handy. We want to understand uh, different points about this whole subject of um, repentance. This is one of the uh, parables that Jesus was uh, teaching. And he basically made these stories up as excellent teaching tools. No one did it any better than Jesus. And so let's see what this parable has to say. Uh, Matthew 21, verse 28. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. Now, some of you are fathers of sons, and maybe you've had these kind of conversations. Son, when I come back today, I'm really hoping the grass is cut. You know, it's that kind of a thing. And that, yeah, Dad, I got it, I got it, I got it. I'll be out of bed in a little while. Go ahead to work, Dad. Yeah, when I come back, I'm really hoping that grass is cut. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it, Dad. I got it. He said he would. Um, That was the first son. I will not. Sorry, that was the first son. Son, go, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and the same thing. He answered, I will, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? So it's a simple story. Two sons. One says, Dad, I won't. And there's this indignant moment and that difficulty. But in the end, he changed his mind. That's what repentance is. 
That son must have reflected on what does dad want? Why does dad want it? Is it right for me to do what dad wants? I told dad no. Probably there was that emotional tension about I really should do in respect and honor my dad what he's asked me to do, but I told him no. But now I'm feeling remorse. I'm feeling perhaps some of that brokenness that comes from not being the son that I should be for my father. And so he repents. And his repentance leads him out to cut the grass. Okay, action happens. It isn't just an attitude. One of the questions I want us to address is, is repentance an attitude or an action? In this case, you can see that his repentance, his change of mind, change of direction, led to action. And those two things are connected. It wasn't just, as he laid in bed, I really feel bad because I told dad I wouldn't do the grass. Or the other son, I told dad I would do the grass, but I'm not even getting out of bed. And both of them could feel bad. But one son who had dishonored his father out of his bad feelings, his remorse, his, his uh, sense of shame and guilt, he repented. And that meant he went out and did this thing. And so I want us to see right from the beginning when we talk about repentance, we're talking about something that leads to action. If you've got something that you came in here and you think, I'd love to see this area change in my life, well, isn't it really true that we don't want just... Um, to sit and think about it all the time. We don't want to just keep writing in our journal about it or talking to a friend about it or, oh, same old, same old, same old. We want to see change. And that's what happened here in this experience of repentance. This son went from that sinful attitude to a changed attitude. Now, in Psalm 51, which you looked at last week, we do see, in answering the question, is it an action or an attitude, that it is actually also an attitude. Uh, In Psalm 51... David talks about what's going on in his heart. And it turns out you can't actually separate that either. Just a couple of verses that um, you looked at last week as well. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts, 51.6. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. So David is saying, oh God, work on my heart. When I sinned with Bathsheba, I wasn't bothered by that. And then, because of Nathan and the work of your Holy Spirit, I came to that conviction, and I need that work in my heart. And so, uh, would that have been enough if David had just had that work in his heart? And whatever it is, I want you to think if you have something in mind, even now, that you're asking for God's mercy and God's grace to see change and growth and maturing in your life. And the question is, is it just a need for a change in attitude about that thing? Or do you need to change your behavior? Do you need to see some change in activity? Uh, Basically, the question that Jesus said was, he told that story to say which one did what his father wanted. Not which one thought or felt like his father wanted. Which one did. So we see that it's, it's action. James makes a major case out of this argument. And he says, you know what? If you tell me you've got your act together spiritually because you've got a good attitude... And that's it. And because you have kind of warm times of worship, and that's it. And I can't look at your life. Maybe check your checkbook and talk to your wife and kids and find out that your your faith is being lived out. Then I'm going to call you a liar, basically. Because the inside has to match the outside. These two things have to be connected. We have a tendency to separate these things. Instead of being able to say, is it an attitude or an action? And answer, absolutely, yes. It is both of those things. The one part of us that um, uh, sometimes just wants to go for 
action, say, I'm ready to change. Sometimes we're ready to go to change, not because we fear God, but because we fear men. Do a little check on this one. Maybe the reason you're so adamant about getting your eating together is because you're tired of the way people look at you and what they think about you. And so all the energy you're trying to muster has to do with what you think people think about you. And everything you're trying to do might be just out of fear of man instead of understanding how God sees you and has accepted you and yet what he wants for you in freedom in that area of your life. And so there's a real limitation. If all we focus on is the action and what motivates our heart, that unchanged heart, is what people think, and this could be any list of whatever it is you struggle with, that's going to be a limited uh, process. At the same time, there are people that, thinking that everything is about the heart, they get to the place where they're saying, I'm not worried about the heart. I'm just worried, I mean, I'm not worried about changing my behavior because that might be legalism or that might be where I'm performing. All I want is to have the right heart and attitude. And actually, it doesn't even matter. I don't think God even cares much what I do. And somehow we've developed a really cavalier attitude towards sin. And this is a huge problem in the American church. It's amazing the kind of things that we accept and have decided they're probably okay and tolerable. And believe me, I'm not a... Um, what would be called by some from this fundamentalist perspective where you've got a whole list of all the things you do and don't do. But I'm just saying, we've gotten to the place in many cases where we accept all kinds of things, including some of the uh, sins of the heart, like greed and lust and uh, anger and bitterness and jealousy. And we just accept that stuff and think it's okay. And then... Um, there are other outward lists, you know, well, yeah, I speed, but, you know, actually it's just the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law anyway. Well, actually, I don't just speed. I'm an angry driver. I mean, I, you should, no one should be in the car with me when I'm driving because of what comes out. And there's just so many ways that we think that, that really doesn't matter. My action does it. And God's word tells us, you know what, your attitude and your action, your heart and what you're thinking has to come together to the glory of God. And repentance is to lead us to uh, fruitful living in all of these areas. We want to avoid either extreme, just doing the outward change for people's attention, or just thinking we can change our hearts and not care about what we're doing. In essence, it's a dichotomous or a split way of thinking, as if our bodies and our souls aren't connected. Saul said, are you crazy? I mean, you're going to sleep with a prostitute? Don't you know that you're, you're becoming one with that person? There's a spiritual reality when you have a physical experience. Could that be true to a lesser extent? But when we're eating our second bowl of ice cream? I mean, really? Could it be that when we're saying, oh, I know God doesn't care about this. Well, if he doesn't care about that, do you see how the sliding scale just goes? We convince ourselves, what I do physically doesn't matter. And that's a dangerous slope to be on. We have to understand how those things are connected. Well, um, that's the answer of the question. Does attitude or action, what is pleasing God and part of repentance? The answer is both of them. Um, I want to say that uh, this journey kind of goes from conviction. So let's say something's happened in your life, and you become convicted. It can happen two ways. One is you've reflected, you've been in God's presence, you've been in worship, and something comes on your heart, like the thing I asked you to think about, what it is that God might be convicting you of. Sometimes conviction comes like it did for David because somebody gets in your face and says, you know what, the way you talk to that person, the way you are at work, There's no way people are seeing Christ in you when you do that. And so sometimes that brings conviction. But we start this journey with conviction. And what we're going to talk about again next week, uh, well, sometimes conviction leads to brokenness. Brokenness is when I say, I'm agreeing with God. I see the ugliness of this. I see that when I 
let that sin be part of who I am. It's displeasing to God, dishonoring to God, makes me less than fully useful to God. So you go from conviction to brokenness, and then, like we're going to talk about next week, sometimes to confession, which is a wonderful gift from God. Confession is one of the most underused blessings God has given us. I hope we have a really good discussion about that next week. But I'm telling you, just getting to confession isn't enough if you don't get to repentance. Repentance is basically saying, I'm not just talking about this. I'm not just going to tell somebody about it. I'm going to have a change of direction, and I'm going to live differently by the grace of God. That's a really necessary part of this. There was a family that I was ministering to for a while. They had a teenage daughter. And this is when I really learned the difference between confession and repentance. This girl was transparent. She was honest. She would tell you what was going on, sometimes more than her parents wanted to know. And uh, they came to me and asked if I could help. They'd had, she had uh, been raised in a Christian school, Christian home, uh, had been a delightful girl, very active in her faith, active in a youth group, involved in missions trips, all kinds of good things. But then she went to college, and it was like the bottom fell out. I mean, she quit going to class. She started partying. All these things, she ended up flunking out of college. It was a very painful experience for everybody in the family. And so they came to visit with me, and she would sit in my office with mom and dad and this girl, and she would say, oh, yes, I've done this, and I, I feel really bad. And, and I've done this, and I've done this, and she would give details to what she had done, and I feel really bad. I don't want to do that anymore. And we would think, you know, she was, her confession was sincere. It was uh, pretty thorough. We thought, wow, we've seen some real spiritual progress here. But then she would go, and the next week, and the next week, and the next week, it was the same behavior. They'd be back in my office. We'd be hearing the same stories. About the third or fourth time I got the same confessions, I said, time out. We've had enough of confessing. When are you going to repent? When are you going to go another direction? When are you going to have a change in your behavior? If you really are sincere about being broken, and you're really confessing these things, but you're not changing. You don't even seem to, you're making me think you don't have much intention to change. Then we can actually put a stop to the confessing because there's something insincere about that. There's needs, there needs to be a path that God has you on, and you're short circuiting that path. And that's what I want us to understand about this repentance and the, the part of the process it's supposed to play towards our restoration, which is this wonderful thing. It isn't enough, it's a great thing to experience uh, conviction and brokenness as we're just hearing from God honestly and hearing from others honestly. It is a gift from God that we can confess our sins to God and to one another. It's a wonderful thing, but we don't want to stop there. We want to see a full fruit of repentance. So um, the next question that comes up about this is, is repentance an, uh, uh, an exercise for believers or non-believers? Okay, so we've tried to see what it is. It's this change of heart. And most of what I read about repentance actually was people talking about how to do evangelism. So it clearly is for people who aren't in the faith yet. So if you're here tonight, I don't know how you got here or who brought you or whatever your stake might be, but if you're here tonight and you've never received the forgiveness of God through placing faith in Jesus Christ, this message, this good news we're going to talk about, can be for you. The call for those of us who are believers is to share with people an invitation to repent. Jesus, when he began his public ministry, we looked at that in Mark 1 this last week in church, he called people to repent and believe, it says in Mark 1. Repent and believe. Repent meaning understand that the direction you're going is not the direction God is going. 
Understand that trying to be self-satisfied and self-fulfilled is not going to work for you. And having understood that, turn and go the way of God. But the believing part is not a matter of works. It's not a matter of get your act together. It's a matter of believe in the work that Jesus has done for you. That's why it was called good news we talked about. Not good advice about how to get your act together, but good news that Jesus had done what you could never do. He died for you. He conquered sin and death to offer you the gift of forgiveness and life in Christ. So you can repent and say, I want to change and believe. And it is a definitely wonderful message for people who are not in Christ. It is how we become Christians through that exercise. So I have to say, is repentance for unbelievers? Absolutely, it is for unbelievers. The question is, is it for believers as well? And actually, on that evangelism strain, some of the books I read, some of the things I was looking at, feel like you can't even ask somebody to repent. Because all you can do is encourage them to believe. If you ask them to repent, you're making them have to work for their salvation in some way. And there's some interesting arguments about that. And of course, there's no way we can work for our salvation. It's what Christ provided. We don't earn it, right? We know that. But we have to understand that Jesus called people to repent and believe. Paul called people to repent and believe. Peter called for people to repent and believe. And in essence, there's a connectedness between the repenting and the believing. There's an understanding that, yeah, I am going the wrong direction because you know what? I won't even reach out for the help that's available until I understand that where I'm going is a hopeless, helpless direction. And so these two things have to go together. I don't know if you've ever heard of New Tribes Mission. They've done some pretty amazing work in South America, especially. Played a big hand in seeing Brazil become a predominantly uh, evangelical nation at this point. Um, others also played a big role in that, like the Assemblies of God and some other churches. But New Tribes had a very interesting experience. They were going from tribe to tribe to tribe, sharing the gospel. And what they would do was they would go in and explain to people the wonderful news about how Jesus, the perfect Son of God, had lived a perfect life, died on the cross to pay the price for their sins, been buried, been rose again, and could offer them the gift of eternal life. Did they want it? And they said, hey, count me in. Yes, yes, yes. They had all kinds of people that were responding to the gospel and confessing that they wanted to receive this gift from God. And they worked with those people sometimes for years. And then sometimes they'd go into other villages and come back and see how those churches were doing. And after 20 years, they started scratching their heads and saying, something is wrong. So few of our churches are having anybody come to maturity. They just seem to be having the same problems. There's not much change in their life. What is it about what God's doing and what we're doing in ministry that seems to have short-circuited helping these people grow? And as they investigated it, they determined that they had too quickly gotten to the good news. They told people, kind of like some others have, and please excuse the pun, but you know, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And it's an easy thing, and here it is, and do you want it? And most people say yes. So new tribes figured, as they looked and studied God's word and prayed about it, that it had been a mistake to not help people first understand how alienated they were from God, how serious a sin problem they had. And so they created a curriculum called Creation to Christ. And they helped people understand that God was the owner and possessor of everything, King of kings and Lord of lords from the beginning. How the fall had broken our relationship with God and caused us to have a big sin problem. And how over and over and over again, Israel tried in their own efforts to close that gap and never could do it. And as they worked them through these stories, 
some of those places, those tribe people became, the, the lights were going on. Oh, so God isn't happy with us. The way we live and the things we're doing are not pleasing to God. And so, and they actually have a movie about this, if you want to get it. It's quite an exciting story. After uh, taking about a year to teach from creation up to the cross, then they told them the gospel again. And the transformation was amazing. They understood the mercy of God in Christ. They understood that they had a huge problem, and Christ was the answer. It was a very different thing than just saying, yes, give me the gift of life, please, and also pass the bananas. You know, that kind of trivial way that we treat the gospel sometimes. They became so aware of their problem, and then they became so grateful for the solution. And so there's a way that it's right for us to call people to repentance and an understanding of what God teaches us in the Old Testament, as well as sharing the gospel. And to not do both is kind of a problem. So, is there other ways that we're supposed to call Christians to repentance? Look in Ephesians 4 with me just for a second. And we could have looked at any epistle, really. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. They all have very similar tones. In most of these books, you'll find a list uh, of ethics. And the idea is, you used to do this, now you need to do this. Or, you're still struggling with these things in your life, you need to put off this and put on this. That's the language here in Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24. Basically says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Now this is written to Christians. This is written to you and me. This is what we're supposed to do. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. How much do you see in that verse that makes allowance for us basically sinning like we want to and thinking it's okay with God? Because the journey he wants to take us on is the journey that makes us basically created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, we're never going to get perfect. And I don't want us to set such a high goal that we think that we should be living under that frustration all the time. But we have to understand we are supposed to progress. And repentance is one of the tools that allows us to change so those sins don't have a hold on your life. Whatever it is that you walked in here with this morning or tonight. So, if this is true, if God has given these gifts, why do you suppose it is that we don't so often see the fruit of it? Why is it that we have these gifts from God, but so many people don't seem to come to maturity in overcoming sin. Uh, I, I don't know if you have any ideas. I want to kind of give a silent pause there. But even in your own journey, think about your own journey and your struggle against sin, your desire to put off the old and to put on the new. What do you think it is that hinders us so much? Um, God has given us these instruments, the brokenness, the repentance, confession, um, I think there's a, uh, you know, a, a problem really in, a, in not just our church, but I would say in church in America in general. And they used to accuse the African church of being a mile wide and an inch deep. Same kind of thing. Why do people, so many people profess Christ, so few people seem to be changed? Really an interesting question. And I guess I feel in part it's because, again, we've, we've packaged our faith as this gift, which it is a gift. I'm not going to go to work, so I'm going to address that to finish here. But the point is, it's not just that it's a gift that we receive. It's this life that we join. And we're supposed to have this life in Christ that we keep growing in and keep feeding ourselves in and keep connecting to and keep being drawn into the person of Christ so that we become more and more like him. That's the goal of this journey that we're to be on. 
Uh, and I will say that uh, if we try to do this in the flesh, we are in big trouble. I hope you know somebody that actually you could say, I know someone who's made great strides in their journey to mature in Christ. I have somebody, a guy that I'll name, Brother Stuckey, has passed away now, but this guy was a hobo, used to ride the railroad all around America. He was an alcoholic. He was a mess. And he had a profound conversion experience, understanding how broken and lost he was. He received the grace and mercy of God, and he was so grateful. And he had a job. He got a job in... uh, Parts department, where actually, well, tool department, actually, where he passed out tools in this big uh, factory. And while he was there, he started studying the scriptures and studying the scriptures and giving his heart and his mind to the things that God wanted. He wanted to know what God thought about his attitudes and what God thought about his actions and what God said was good and what God said was bad. And this guy did not become legalistic. He did not become joyless. I have never known anybody that knew more joy than this guy in his life. He was amazing. He was so filled with the Spirit because he learned to say yes to the Spirit of God and no to the flesh. Yes to the Spirit of God. I will do what you want, God. I see things the way you see, and I want those things you want, God. And that's a journey that every one of us is invited to go on. And uh, why not? So I think the answer is repentance for Christians or non-Christians. You have to understand that it's true. It's the pattern of how we mature, not how we just come to faith. And just uh, quickly, I want to answer the question, wait, am I in danger of doing this in a fleshly way? Well, let's go back to the fact that a non-Christian needs to repent. Let's say you're here and you're not a person of faith today. And you think, yeah, I hear about my sins. I see that that displeases God. I'm going to get my act together. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to quit doing this and I'm going to start doing that. I just, I, I can be a better person. I decided I should do that and God deserves that, doesn't he, after all? And so you try and try. I promise you, you'll fail. I promise you, you will. Because we can't save ourselves. The Bible makes it very clear. We're actually dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead person can't help himself very much. Right? And so we come to faith as a gift of God. By the mercy and grace of God. Well, guess what? Here's some good news for you. So let's say you came here tonight and you say, Wait, I've got these sins that I struggle with. There's these things in my life, in my marriage, at work, in my heart. I don't know what to do about it. Well, maybe what you've done is when you've realized in the past that you have these sins and you desire to change, maybe somehow you thought, you know what? I'm going to be a better person tonight. I'm, I went to church. I feel like it's really important. I'm going to go and be a better person. I'm going to try really hard. I'm, going to, I'm not going to let that master me anymore. I'm going to overcome. You'll be as hopeless as a person who tries to save himself. It doesn't work that way. But that's, that's truth. I was going to say it's bad news, but actually any truth is good news. It's good news as soon as we realize we can't do it ourselves. That's good news. Because the really good news, what we call the gospel, is that what you can't do for yourself in sanctification, Jesus Christ can do for you. And has done for you already. All the power that is needed for you to overcome sin has been released in Christ Jesus. Every bit of what you need for whatever you walked in here with tonight, Jesus has already made available to you. But you have to go to him with a recognition of your sin and say, God, this sin that has beset me, an old-fashioned word, this sin that keeps pulling me down, I want rid of it. And I can't do it by myself, by your grace and mercy and by the power of the Holy Spirit living within me. Would you overcome this in me? I say yes to you and to the Spirit and no to the flesh and no to the world. I ask you to have that victory in me. I ask you, Jesus Christ, to live 
through me. That's the good news. There's a group of people, a small denomination now, that are really famous for saying, you have to tell yourself the gospel every day. And they're really right. Otherwise, you'll keep trying to do things yourself. The gospel is, oh yes, Jesus did for me what I could never do for myself. And he released enough power when he died on the cross to pay for every one of my sins and to break the bondage of every sin in my life. Now, I know, I've been in trying to help people for some years. I know there's some horrible things. For some people, it's as simple as smoking. For some people, and uh, one of the youth pastors was sharing statistics with me before the service tonight because they're having a discussion about sexuality in youth group tonight about the, a number of people that are addicted to pornography. I mean, there are some frightening, horrific battles that we're in. Battling sin is not easy. I get that. But I want you to understand, church, that what God has provided for us in Christ Jesus is more than adequate for us to overcome any sin. Now, it does require this path of seeing it as God sees it, that brokenness. It does require, and it's helped a great deal by confession. We'll talk about that next week. But it also requires repentance. Saying, I've had enough of being this person and doing this thing. I've held on to this probably in part because I'm not sure I can trust Jesus over there. I'm not sure he can really deliver me. I'm not sure I'll be really satisfied if I let go of this thing and I walk over here and fully embrace Christ. And I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you, I'm counseling you, let go of that thing, it's killing you. Don't you understand that? It's ruining you. Satan came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus came that you might have life. And so go for it. Have done with whatever that sin is that's holding on to you. Uh, It's the grace of God and the mercy of God, and it's a good thing. So how do we practically do this, church? First of all, I really want to encourage you to live reflectively. There's got to be some times we quiet things down and see our lives from God's perspective. We have to use his word so his word can speak to us. We have to be with other believers and give them the opportunity to speak the truth to us. We have to let God touch our hearts so that we can come to that natural brokenness, not an artificial brokenness, not just being under a load of guilt, Sometimes I think about half the guilt we feel isn't from God at all. It's because of how we think what other people think and all that stuff. But hear from God. And then once having done that, confess that to God who is faithful to forgive us and repent and turn the other direction. Let me give you some examples of how this might work in your marriage or in a parenting relationship. Suppose you started to decide tonight, you know what, I want to improve my relationship with my spouse. And so you spend some time reflecting. I realize there's some things I've said that weren't very kind. I mean, really, think of specific things. And there's some attitudes I have, maybe where I'm not respecting them, I'm not grateful for them, I'm not honoring them. So you think about a thing like that or two, and maybe some promises you made that you didn't keep, and you're starting to realize, no wonder we're feeling a little cool in this relationship, because I've done some things. Don't just spend all your time thinking about what they've done, think about what you've done. And then if you're really brave, here's one for you. Go and ask them. Take the risk. What have I done? How have I hurt you or disappointed you or failed you in any way? Please, I want to listen. And then listen. And they might say something like, well, you know when we were at that party and you made me the butt of that joke, that really hurt. I was really embarrassed, really crushed, actually. I thought I could trust you, but I didn't feel trust at that time. It's hard for me to trust you when you do those kind of things to me. Or, you know, this thing that I felt like we had agreed together and then you went and did something else. And my... My trust was broken. And so you start hearing those things. And in essence, you want to own it. You want to say, okay, I see that. I see that I have done things 
that hurt our relationship. And no wonder we're having some relational difficulties. No wonder we don't feel the intimacy that God intended, even between parents and kids, between husband and wife. And so confession plays a great tool here. You've got to say, I am sorry I did that. I am sorry. I may have to ask your forgiveness, which is another lesson we're going to talk about. But I want you to understand, if you don't have repentance, your relationship's not going to get better. If you tell your wife, I'm so sorry I did that, but the next time you're in some social gathering, you give in again and you say some crude or rude remark that makes little of her, what do you think that does to the relationship? There's got to be change. Well, similarly, for us to grow in our relationship with God, God is incredibly patient with us. His mercy goes on and on and on. But if we want to be close and intimate with him, we have to let him see these, we have to see these things in our own heart. And then we have to repent and start behaving differently towards God. Not do those things that dishonor him. Those things that are disrespectful to him. That aren't the things that he likes, but the things that the world likes. We have to turn and go the other direction. What keeps us from repenting when I asked earlier what causes us not to stop and grow? I think that probably one of the big things is our pride. We won't admit that we don't have our act together. That's a bad one. Sometimes it's fear. I'm afraid of change. I maybe don't like what I am, but I'm afraid of some difference. I'm afraid I can't even change. And at the bottom of it, a lot of times, is actually a lack of faith. I just don't believe God is up to it. And I just want to encourage us all to understand, as he proved at the cross, Jesus Christ is totally, totally up to whatever you want to take him on with tonight. He can help you overcome whatever it is. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word and grateful for the gift of repentance. The fact that we don't have to be stuck with our sin. We don't have to have a reality that we can't change. We can have a reality that we can grow and change and experience your grace and mercy in new and fresh ways. Father, we don't have to just grow older. We can grow more and more to be like your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I'm very aware that there's people here tonight that came with some pretty big struggles. And they're trying to decide whether they want to trust you to change in those areas. And I just pray that by your Spirit, you would touch hearts. And then, Father, our church. We think of some of the bumps and grinds we've been through, some of the ways perhaps we've responded to that. And I ask that you would help us also to grow and to change and to respond to you and to each other more like Jesus. We pray that in his name. Amen.